Well, I want to encourage you this morning, if you would, to please take your Bibles once again and, and open them up as I open my Bible this morning. Uh, I would ask you right now if you would turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, that's uh, another one of the Apostle Paul's letters uh, that's uh, in our Bible. Uh, just shortly after Colossians, where we read a few moments ago. Uh, this that I want to read you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is not my text this morning. Uh, I simply am going to read this because I am borrowing from this portion of Scripture uh, what I'm giving as the title to the message this morning. And that would simply be Our Good Hope. Our Good Hope. That last hymn that we sang said what? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, that's completely, altogether, lean on Jesus' name. I recall several years ago hearing a message from the uh, words that I'm going to be reading to you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a message uh, that Brother John, uh, Grace's dad, preached entitled Our uh, Good Hope Through Grace. I believe he entitled the message Good Hope Through Grace. Well, I want to borrow, as I said, just a, a portion of this for the title of my message this morning, Our Good Hope. So if you would look with me at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, and we will uh, read this and go before the Lord once again, asking His blessing upon our time together here this morning. Verse 13 of Second Thessalonians 2, the Apostle Paul he writes this to these folks, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the, to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Well, let's, if we can, bow our hearts humbly, humbly before the Lord this morning, uh, and trust that God will hear us as we ask His blessing upon the word that we're about to listen to this morning. Bow with me, please. Our Father, we once again would express our thanks, our deep gratitude, 
as we bow before you humbled, humbled to acknowledge that your amazing grace, that favor, unmerited, undeserved, that we are ill-deserving of. Oh God, your grace has touched our lives, given us a heart that would understand and see and hear and know the truth as it is in Christ and that we stand in need of deliverance from our sin, salvation from our sin and its consequences. And Lord, those of us who have experienced this grace so amazing in our hearts, we do bow humbly to thank you and to praise you for it. Father, bless your word to our hearts this morning. Give us understanding hearts, hearing hearts. And Lord, speak to us. Glorify your name in each of our lives. And we thank you, Lord. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our good hope. Uh, I feel compelled this morning before we actually begin to look at our good hope uh, to speak to you uh, a word of warning, if I could, uh, from God's Word, from the Scripture. Uh, you know this passage we just read here in Thessalonians. Paul is uh, thanking God for these folks at Thessalonica uh, whom God has saved. Whom God has saved from their sin uh, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And my heart is filled with gratitude this morning, not just for what God has done in my heart, and in my life, but for what I see that God has done in your hearts, in your lives, many of you, uh, as you are here this morning uh, to worship with us. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. But should you not be one of those this morning whom God has saved, my heart yearns to know that God would save you. If you'll trust Him. If you'll trust Him. Uh, look with me back in, in Ephesians. Uh, a couple of letters back earlier in the New Testament here than where we are at Thessalonians. In chapter 2 of Ephesians. And here uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, reminding... Pardon me, my mouth is dry this morning. Uh, reminding these folks at Ephesus, who are, by the way, Christians. They are believers. Uh, they're part of the church there at Ephesus. But he's writing to them to remind them that it wasn't always so in their lives. And, and listen to what he says, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 2 here in Ephesians. He says, And you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, and we know who that is, don't we? That's the devil himself. And uh, that is true, or was true of all of us when we came into this world. Uh, we, we followed him. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh, but listen, he says, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Oh, but then down in verse 12, he says, remember. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth or all the blessings that God has bestowed upon His people Israel. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Listen, having no hope and without God in the world. Now there was a time when every one of us were right there. Right there. Without Christ, without Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, separated from God and all that is good and holy, there was a time when this was true of all of us. And we were strangers to the covenants of promise, the agreements that God Himself made and holds to in the promises that He has given us. And we had no hope. We had no hope. And we're without God in the world. In other words, we were hopeless. We were hopeless. Having no hope. Having no hope. If that's where you are this morning, I would implore you. I would beg you for Christ's sake. To be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. By trusting Christ. By believing on the Lord Jesus with all of your heart. Knowing that there's no other hope. There is no other hope for a sinner but Christ. Christ. No other ground upon which to stand that's safe. All other ground is sinking sand. In it. Sinking sand. Oh, God help you. God help you to believe on Christ this morning with all your heart. Trust Him. Put your hope in Him that He can become your hope. Your hope. Now then, I want this morning, having said that, uh, to speak from God's Word on our good hope. 
our good hope, the hope that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told you we were going to come back to Colossians chapter 1, and so let's do that now if we can. Uh, Back to the first chapter of Paul's letter uh, to these believers at Colossae uh, in Asia Minor. Uh, The book of Colossians. I'm not going to read again this entire chapter. We're we're going to try to look at several things here all throughout chapter 1 of Colossians. Uh, But I'm not going to read uh, all of these things that I'm not actually going to read right now. Uh, the sections of it that we're going to look at because we're going to do that in a few moments when we get to them. And so I want you to turn there with me, if you haven't already, to Colossians chapter 1. And, uh, and, and I will tell you this as we begin to look at this letter here that uh, Paul wrote to these folks at Colossae, that uh, it's not like most of Paul's letters, at least in this respect, uh, because... Uh, Colossians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison to a church that he did not directly establish. Now, that's different than most of the letters that the Apostle Paul has written that we read here in the New Testament. Most of these letters are written to churches that he visited on his missionary journeys and actually proclaimed the gospel, preached the word of God. Folks came to believe the truth, and a church was established because of that in these uh, cities where the Apostle Paul went. But Colossae is not one of those that Paul ever visited. As a matter of fact, that's very clear in chapter 2, Colossians verse 1, where he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul never went, or at least at this point had never gone to Colossae and at this point Laodicea either. And although he was not the one who directly established the church there, uh, Nevertheless, he was yet instrumental, if you will, uh, in the establishment of the church uh, at Colossae by his preaching and teaching of the word, the gospel, uh, in the two years that he spent at Ephesus. Uh, Paul spent two years at the city of Ephesus uh, preaching and teaching the word of God. Now, Colossae uh, was a a city about a hundred miles east, I believe, of Ephesus, which was more upon the coast. And, and Colossae was uh, along a city that was very near to the, the main trade route from all the way to the east, the Euphrates River, uh, over uh, to uh, the sea there. And so people were constantly coming from Asia and Asia Minor and passing through Colossae and and going on to to Ephesus where the Apostle Paul was. And as I said, Paul was there for two years preaching and teaching the Word of God. And folks, as they would travel from all over Asia, would pass through there. And for some reason or another, many of them would would hear uh, the message that the Apostle Paul was preaching there uh, day in and day out in in Ephesus. And... uh, A man by the name of Epaphras uh, was one of those who uh, traveled uh, from Asia Minor in Colossae uh, to uh, Ephesus uh, 
to hear uh, the Apostle Paul preach and teach the Word of God. And he did go, and he did hear the Gospel, and he believed the truth that Paul proclaimed, and then returned to Colossae and bore witness and testimony to what he knew to be the truth and that which transformed his life and saved him from his sin. And through his testimony, the church at Colossae was established. And so indirectly, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, was very instrumental in the establishment of this church. And then about five to seven years later, we believe, Epaphras uh, visited the Apostle Paul when he was in prison from where this letter was actually written. Uh, We believe it was uh, probably five to seven years that uh, Epaphras went back uh, to Rome, actually, where Paul uh, was in prison and visited with him. And his primary reason for making this trip uh, to Rome to visit Paul is because his heart was burdened about some things that were taking place in the church at Colossae. Uh, And so he came to Paul uh, telling Paul that there were some strange teaching uh, being brought to the folks there in the church at Colossae, and it was becoming very harmful uh, to to their health uh, as believers spiritually, as Christians. And it seems like that uh, this often happens, if not always, when God does a work and a church is established, uh, this enemy that we have, uh, will never uh, never cease to do all he can to destroy the work of God. And so he's always going to be busy about planting uh, seeds and planting folks, you know, in true churches uh, to mislead and pervert and distort the truth. And this was happening, and there were some strange things being taught. And uh, Epaphras was burdened about this, and so he came to tell Paul and told him. And and this is the primary reason then that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this letter to the folks at Colossae. And if you look in chapter 2 here, uh, quickly, verses 6 through 8, you'll see that the Apostle Paul, in his writing, is uh, letting the folks there at Colossae know that he's aware of some things that are taking place and that it can indeed be very harmful to them and many there apparently uh, were beginning to be doubtful about things that they ought not to have doubts about. And uh, unbelief was beginning to grip their hearts and their lives. And so Paul wrote to them in chapter 2 here in the Bible, verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so Paul is expressing his concerns there. 
in these verses. A little bit later in verses 16 and following, he continues by saying, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink and, or, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, uh, which is an indication that uh, there were some who had come into the church at Colossae that were teaching that something had to be added to Christ. You know, you had to do this in order to be saved. Oh yes, believe on the Lord Jesus, but along with that you had to do this. And you know, circumcision was one of those things that the Judaizers often uh, entered into the true church and began to teach and, and preach that was absolutely necessary if someone was going to be genuinely converted and become a child of God and a part of God's family. Oh yes, it's okay to believe in Christ. You've got to do that, but you've also got to be circumcised. And so it was this type of thing that was taking place there. And Paul uh, is writing to seek to correct these things in warning these folks about it. And he said, these things are simply a shadow of things to come in verse 17. But the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, uh, the Old Testament, as we know, uh, was pictures and types of the reality, which is Christ. And so Paul was writing to, to deal with some of these things. And uh, uh, he always, in his writing, if you've read much of the Apostle Paul's letters and spent much time in them, uh, you will realize that the Apostle Paul always uh, held faith and, and hope and love as being very central to the Christian life. And uh, he's stressing that here in his letter to the Colossians. Uh, these uh, three things, faith and, and hope and love, are referred to some, uh, by some, uh, as Christian, uh, as virtues uh, in our Christian lives uh, or moral qualities uh, that some refer to as virtues. But, but I believe that contrary to what a lot of folks believe about these three things, uh, that they are actually uh, gifts from God. They are gifts from God, true gifts from God. Uh, faith and love and, and hope uh, are not virtues that are produced in us as believers by things that we ourselves do. Uh, they are gifts from God, strictly gifts from God. And most of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, are we not? Uh, there we hear about faith. And, and what is it that we hear here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8? Paul says there, For by grace are you saved through faith. But then what's he say? That not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us boast. So faith is a gift. It is a gift from God. We don't get faith by drumming it up in our own hearts and in our own lives. And we don't get the result of faith, saving faith, by anything that we do. It is strictly God's gift. And what about love? What about love? Well, the same is true of love. If you want to turn back here to Romans, the, book of Rome, the letter to the church at Rome, 
uh, Romans chapter 5. Uh, let me just read a few verses here for you uh, from Romans chapter 5. Uh, and we'll see, I think clearly, that along with faith, love is also a gift from God. It's not something we have apart from God himself granting it. Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained or gained uh, access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God is poured into our hearts. That's the way we get the love of God, isn't it? It's by God pouring it into our hearts. It's a gift, just like faith, a gift from God. Well, the same is true of hope. Uh, if we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 for just a moment, we'll see that Peter makes it very clear that, that just like faith and, and love, hope is also something that God gives us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again. God has given us a new life a new life, a new heart. We're born again to a living hope. And so faith and love and hope are all gifts from God. Now I want you to notice with me here in Colossians where we're going to spend primarily the remainder of our time here this morning. Notice with me Paul's mention of these three gifts here in Colossians, in our passage, in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, there's one of them, in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, that's another one of them, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. And so Paul, as he often does in his letters, mentions these three gifts uh, from God uh, to his children. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 Paul mentions all three of them in one verse there uh, in one sentence. He says, Now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is emphasizing their uh, love. 
that gift from God. Here in our passage in Colossians, uh, although Paul mentions both faith and love, he is emphasizing hope. He's emphasizing hope. And it's here that I want us to see uh, what our good hope really is as we look at Paul's emphasis upon hope here in Colossians. And I believe that his emphasis is upon hope in his letter to the Colossians because of what's taking place in the church at Colossae. And he's seeking to get these folks to see and understand that they have got to cling, cling to the hope that God has given them in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because clinging to that hope is the only thing that will prevent them from being led astray by these things that are are being taught in the church there in Colossae. And going back again for just a moment to Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus again, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, let me read a few verses here. Uh, Don and I listened to a message this week together that just really spoke, well, to both our hearts. Actually, we talked about it. We've talked about it uh, almost every day since then after hearing this message. We've heard a message from Ephesians chapter 1 on verses five through, uh, 15 through 21. And uh, I want you to listen to what Paul says here to these folks at Ephesus as he's sharing his prayer for them, what he's praying for them, beginning with verse 15 in chapter 1 of Ephesians. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, there it is, one of them, faith, and your love toward all the saints, there's another one of them. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. Now listen closely to what he's praying here. That their eyes would be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of their calling. That hope to which they are called. What the riches of the glory, glorious inheritance in the saints. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and He has put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things the church. Paul wanted these Christians. He longed to know that these Christians at Ephesus. Therefore, he prayed for them, among other things, that they would know what the hope is to which they're called. And that's what I am burdened about this morning for you and I that we might know what this hope is to which we've been called. And I believe that the Apostle Paul does a tremendous job as the Spirit of God 
directed him and inspired him and led him to do when he wrote the letter to the church at Colossae to explain to us what the hope is to which we're called. There's a lot of misunderstanding about hope. A lot of misunderstanding about hope. And so I would ask that we ask ourselves this morning if we can, what is the hope to which we are called? What is it? Let me say what it's not, if I could, first of all. It is not wishful thinking. And that's where a lot of us have had problems in times past, and perhaps even do now, when it comes to this matter of hope. Oftentimes, what we hope for is just wishful thinking. Oh, let's, let's assume that, uh, for instance, that for several days we have just had nothing but cloudy, gloomy, rainy, uh, dreadful weather. And we get up one morning and the thought in our heart is, I hope the sun shines brightly today. Well, that's wishful thinking. That's wishful thinking. Because we don't have any guarantee, do we? That the, hope's going to, that the sun's going to shine brightly today. But our good hope as Christians is not wishful thinking. Our good hope is an anchor. An anchor that holds us secure and guarantees to us the promise of God. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 6. Turn a few pages on past Paul's letter to the Colossians to, to the book of Hebrews. His letter uh, to these Hebrew Christians. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Hebrews. Verses 13 through 20. Paul says here, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself. Swore by himself. Saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. God came to Abraham and made him a promise, didn't he? I will bless you and multiply you. Now, God's I wills, God's I wills are very different than our I wills. Because sometimes what we will doesn't come to be, does it? Just doesn't happen. But never, ever is that even possibly what God's I wills are. They're always, always fulfilled, always accomplished. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable, that is the immutable, the immutable, unchangeable character of His purpose, 
He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable or immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. An anchor. We know what an anchor is, don't we? Ships have anchors. Why do they have anchors? In order that they can be securely fastened to that which they don't want to be removed from. That's what an anchor does. It holds us fast. That's what our good hope is, Paul says. It's an anchor for our soul. An anchor for our soul. And so I want us to look here how the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 explains to us just exactly what this good hope is that we have. And so let's look back here in Colossians chapter 1 now and and learn some more about what this good hope really is. Verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1 here in Colossians. Paul says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, he's saying that this faith that we have in Christ Jesus there in in, uh, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Your faith and your love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, faith and love are dependent upon the hope laid up for us in heaven. And so whatever this hope is, it's something laid up for us in heaven. Uh, what is it that's laid up for us in heaven? Well, let's, let's go back here to First Peter again where we were just a few moments ago. Uh, chapter 1. I read the, the very first part of verse 3 a few moments ago in First Peter chapter 1. Let's look at that in a, a little bit further uh, along with that, if we could. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hope laid up for us in heaven. An inheritance. An inheritance that is awaiting all true believers in heaven. That's the hope laid up for us in heaven. What what is this inheritance? What is it about this inheritance that we need to understand? Well, let's turn back to Paul's letter to the church at Rome again for a few moments. And we'll see more about what this is. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. 8th chapter of Romans, verse 14. 
Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Oh, but now listen. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. The Apostle Paul here in the book of Romans, oh, beginning, maybe before this, but at least in chapter 6, uh, he, he begins to deal with the believer's union with Christ. When God quickens us, as Peter said, uh, when he said being born again to a living hope, when God quickens us, when we are regenerated, when this new birth uh, takes place in us, we are by faith, which is a gift of God, joined to Christ. God unites us to Christ, His Son. And everything that God has, has been given to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. And because we are joined to Christ, inseparably joined to Christ. What He became an heir to, we also become heirs to. That's the hope laid up for us in heaven. What Christ is, what Christ has, is the Son of God, becomes ours. No, we don't become God like He is. But all that God has given to His Son, the Lord Jesus, we also become heir to. Joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? Isn't that what the Word of God tells us? The hope laid up for us in heaven is that which we have in Christ Jesus. Oh my. Paul goes on to tell us more about who Christ is here in chapter 1, verse 15 and following. This one whom we are joint heirs with. Just who is He? He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. All alone. Everything was to be Christ's. Everything was to be given to Him. Oh, but that hope is laid up for us in heaven because we are joint heirs with Him. And he says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And that's you, he said, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, alienated from God, hostile to God, at enmity to God, we have now been reconciled by the death of Christ, the shedding of His blood, in order that we might be presented blameless and above reproach before Him. If we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Here we learn more about what this good hope is. It's not only a hope, the hope laid up for us in heaven, but it is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. Some of you are familiar with that wonderful verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also the Greek. doesn't matter who you are. If you believe in Christ, if you believe in Christ, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for you. And salvation, the salvation that Paul speaks of there and that we read of all throughout the New Testament, that salvation is in Christ, never is it apart from Christ. It is in Christ, beginning to end, start to finish, every bit of it. It is all of grace shown us in Christ Jesus. None of it's deserved. None of it's something we can work for and attain. None of us can purchase it. It's all of grace beginning to end, this gospel, this good news about Christ, who He is and what He has done, and how if we will trust that, God's power works in our hearts to secure us and to save us. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. Paul said, as we saw there earlier in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's grace. God's gift to us, isn't it? The gospel. The hope of the gospel. If we had time, we'd look further in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. We could look also in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, where Paul there so clearly tells us that this salvation that we have is by the grace of God. That's what the gospel tells us. Salvation is by the grace of God. God's grace in and through Christ, who He is and what He has done to pay the price for our sin, to secure us uh, in His presence for all of eternity because of Christ and Him alone. Also, we see here in the third place in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24, 
where Paul makes it even all the more clear what this good hope is that we have. Look with me in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, Paul says, for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. Paul is simply saying, the things that I suffer, the difficulties I pass through, uh, and he, believe me, he passed through a lot of them preaching the gospel. Found himself in prison from where he was writing this letter because of it. Suffering for Christ. Suffering for Christ. But he rejoiced in that. Why? He rejoiced in that. Because he said, I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Talking about the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Uh, to the Jews, for years, it, it was a mystery. Uh, the things that God was really saying, they just didn't quite grasp it. They didn't realize that God's people involved more than just people of the nation of Israel. All of God's people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We read about that in Revelation, don't we? People from all walks of life. That's the mystery. But now it's revealed. It's made known. When Christ came, it was made clear that God's people, uh, we can be God's people. We who are not of the Jewish nation. We can be saved also. And so he says, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is our good hope? It's Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Lord Jesus prayed, did so often, didn't he? But one of his prayers is recorded in the 17th chapter of John. Uh, this prayer of the Lord Jesus is referred to as his high priestly prayer, his intercessory prayer. It's recorded for us in the 17th chapter of John. Uh, I want you to look at just a few verses of it with me, if you would. Uh, verse 17 and following of the 17th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Beginning with verse 17, Jesus is praying and He says, uh, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Uh, that's us He's praying for, by the way, here. That's us He's praying for. Asking that God the Father would sanctify us in the truth. And His Word is truth. And He says, Just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their Word. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, as we are one. Jesus praying to the Father the glory that you've given me I've given to them. What is this good hope we have? Christ in you the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Oh Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 uh, are precious verses. 29 and 30 of Romans chapter 8. Paul says, For those whom he foreknew, those that God, before the foundation of the world, loved. That's what the word foreknew means here. It's not that he just knew about them. He loved them before the foundation of the world. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In the mind and the heart of God. The salvation. That he is to grant. Those whom he has loved from before the foundation of the world. He sees it as a completed work. Doesn't he? Justification. Having been called. Justifying. Sanctifying them. And God looks upon all of his children has already glorified. And Jesus prayed, did he not, as we just read, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. I have given to them. Well, the Lord Jesus, where is he? Where is he right now? He is presently, even now, glorified. At the Father's right hand, is he not? Glorified. And one day, he's coming again. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 3, If I go away, and his disciples were sad about that, weren't they? That he was going away. He said, If I go away, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He is coming again. Promised time and time again here in the New Testament. And when he comes, we're going to see him, aren't we? We're going to see him. Book of Revelation tells us every eye is going to see him. Those who have put their trust and their faith in Him will see Him with an eye full of joy and thanksgiving. Those who have not, 
will see him with the eye of fear. Because God's wrath is about to be poured out upon them. Oh, but our good hope, our good hope tells us that when we see him, we will become like him. That's what John tells us in First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, uh, verse 2, he says, Beloved, now are we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Our hope, our hope is coming again. Our good hope is coming again. And when He comes, we're going to see Him. Oh, and in that moment, in that moment, the Scripture even calls it a twinkling of an eye. That quick. That quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. When we see Him, we will be like Him. That's what John says. We're going to be changed, Paul says. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Back in the Old Testament. What is it? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Won't be any, will there? Because our hope was laid up for us in heaven. Our hope of the gospel. Our hope which is Christ in us. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. This is the believer's hope. This is a good hope. This isn't wishful thinking. This is the anchor that holds us secure and steadfast. Even as unchangeable and immovable as the very promise of God. Because God cannot lie. This is our good hope. And any other hope, as the hymn writer said, is sinking sand. no hope any other hope is no hope not not hope at all this is the believer's hope and until that day comes 
when Christ returns and we see him. What are we to do? What are we to be doing? Well, Paul wrote a letter to a young man by the name of Titus. And he says this in Titus chapter 2. And we'll wrap this up with this. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Here Paul wrote to Titus, he says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And by that he means it's not just for the Jews, it's for all people, all manner of people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now listen. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the hope of glory. He's the hope of glory. He is the hope that is made up for us in heaven. He is the hope of the gospel. Christ is our good hope. And he's coming again. He's coming again. So we're to be looking for him. Looking for that blessed hope. And knowing that he's coming again. And looking for him. We don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming, do we? And that's why Paul said we're to live godly lives. We're to continue to look to Christ. To look to Christ. Trusting Him to make us all that God would have us to be. For His honor, for His glory, and for our good. Our good hope. Do you have a good hope? Do you have the good hope? The only good hope that there is? The Lord Jesus. Christ in us is the hope of glory. John wrote, Life is in Christ. He that has Christ has life. He that does not have Christ does not have life. Nor does he have hope. Christ is our hope. The anchor for our soul. Cling to him by faith. Trust in him with all your heart. Believe on him. Turn to him. Flee from everything else. And trust in Christ. Let's pray.